Welcome to Bleed Bulimia Podcast with guest Rachel West, personal growth coach and founder of Empowering Growth. Hi everyone, I'm Lori Ann. I am the host of Bleed Bulimia and I'm very pleased today to have Rachel West with me and she is a personal growth coach and founder of Empowering Growth. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So my first question is, what inspired you to become a personal growth coach? Um, really, I just fell into it. I owned a graphic design agency for four years, stumbled into NLP, Neural Linguistic Programming. Um, it's basically, if you're not familiar, the science and study of human excellence. So I came across it. I had no idea really what it was. I had never really heard of it. Uh, my business partner thought it would be a good idea for us to know it for our design business. And I was like, well, if I can learn how people communicate, how they process information, then that would be a benefit to me to be able to craft marketing messages to reach people on a deeper level. So going through the program, I got my master's practitioner certification, my trainer certification, and discovered that I no longer wanted to have the design agency and that I wanted to use these tools and knowledge for so much more than just communication. I discovered that I could help people through those tough struggles that we have. So my focus is mindset and mental health and a specialty in addiction. So learning that I could help these people I knew that this is what I wanted to do. And why I chose that was because my family struggled with mental health and addiction. And so growing up around it, witnessing the substance abuse of the drugs and the alcohol, along with the depression, the anxiety, the stress, the overwhelm, um, just having these tools, I discovered that I could not only create something better for myself, but help so many others on a deeper level and knew that it all started with the inside and our mindset on ourselves. Absolutely. And it's good that you're saying that. I know uh, there's different people who say different things about bulimia. Some people call it an addiction. I have a little bit of a issue with that one. Yes, it can be perceived as that. But the other side of it is I always feel that when you say addiction, it's like alcohol. You can never go to it again. Whereas with food, you have to. So you have to. So the dis-ease is what I like somebody calling it, the dis-ease, that you can overcome it and completely recover. And that is something that my listeners need to know. I mean, I've been recovered 11 years. Like I said, some days ago, I don't know why I ever did it. I do. But thinking back, I would never want to go there again. Uh, But they need to know that there is hope for full recovery. But it's along the same lines, isn't it? I mean, as far as going to food for comfort, just like what people do with with drugs and alcohol. Yeah. And not only that, I think the other correlation is, is how you're feeling internally about yourself. So someone with an addiction to a substance they are turning to that to void something. So I think the same goes with somebody who struggles with a food disease. They're suppressing something. They're not wanting to deal with something. And so this food is their outlet or non-food is their outlet. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And now have you worked with uh, people who have, uh, I guess, with the binging, whether, you know, in a sense, there's a correlation between bingers and binge and purgers, except for we binge and then, you know, bulimics then uh, remove it. But I think yeah. there's a similar correlation to it. And have you worked with anyone to that? I haven't personally worked with someone with a disease of bulimia. I have worked with different mental health um, disease, we'll call them too. Um, and so I know that it all falls to your mindset and how you're thinking. And I know when someone's in such a dark place, they are going through with blinders and that's all they can see and they don't think there's a way out and they don't think there's another way. And I think that's really comparable to somebody who struggles with bulimia is, and my goal would be to help them, even if I could slightly tilt it so that they can see, oh, maybe there is light. Maybe there is hope. Maybe there is another way. Maybe I never thought of that because they just have those blinders on those glasses that they're going through life and just seeing it in that way. And they don't think that there's any other way. And I like what you're saying is starting from the inside. Cause I know that uh, in my history, when I went to certain therapists, the counselor was great. She got it. But then I went to therapists cause I lost her and there was this, you know, discussion of food, I really think that I really don't want to talk about the food. I want to talk about what's going on inside of me. And I believe that when you correct that, it's easier to overcome any type of eating disorder, but you have to find out what's the root, what's going on inside of you. And that's what you're saying, which I really appreciate. Yeah, I have this belief that our thoughts create our words and then our words create our actions so if you're going through life thinking that i am this way you're telling yourself i am this way and i am this that i am statement is so powerful whatever falls after that is what you create and becomes what you see every day so if you're constantly telling yourself i have this disease i am bulimic that's what you're going to create because that's what you're telling yourself over and over. It just becomes a habit to the point where it just is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it so it's harder can, to recover when you've got that mindset because you're, you're labeling yourself. I'm bulimic. I'm, and, and then of course, with that, the, you know, the term bulimia, when, when bulimics think about it, it's also shame, fear, lying to people which quite often goes against your values. I don't like lying, but I was doing it when I was bulimic and I hated that part of it because uh, you're always trying to hide it. So there's that conflict. Yeah. yeah, I really wanted to talk about limiting beliefs and share my story, however, non-related yet related to somebody who has bulimia. So when I was five, I was diagnosed with a learning disability. So a doctor told me you are this i was labeled with that somebody else a doctor may say you are bulimic so you go to the doctor you are, you look up to this person you respect them and so you believe that so you take that label you slap it on your back and you carry it with you throughout your life just accepting that label 
So same thing I did. And because of that belief, I thought, well, if I have this learning disability, to me, that means that I'm not as smart as everyone else. And so then that funneled into every other area of my life. And so I struggled with reading. Well, I have this learning disability. And when I read, I have to read out loud so I can comprehend what I'm reading and understand it. And I don't see other people reading like that. It must be because I have this learning disability and I'm not as smart as everyone. So then I decided, well, then I'm just not going to read because I don't want to be even more different than other people. So then it funnels into writing. Well, how can I be a good writer if I'm not a, if I don't read and I'm not a good reader and I have this learning disability and I'm not as smart as everyone else. So see how it was like funneling. And I think that that's the same thing. It not only is that struggle with health, it then funnels into your relationships and in every other area because you're just thinking, well, it's because of this. It all goes back to that. And so for 27 years, that's what I did. I carried that belief that I wasn't as smart as everyone else. And that's why I struggled. It was all due to that. And insert my personal development, stumbling across NLP, I discovered that I never had that learning disability and it was only the way that I learned and the way I processed information. So at that point, I was then able to peel off that label, throw it in the trash and no longer accept it to be true, which then creates that domino effect backwards. Well, now I read almost every day. I am um, a best-selling author. And so I wanted to share this story because I believe that if you can identify the limiting belief or the label that somebody gave you or that you accepted or gave yourself and you can really find the opposite or really find that that really isn't true and that you can peel off that label anytime you want to, the opportunities for you open. Absolutely. That's very well said. And, and it's the if you want to is a big factor in it. So if somebody's saying, I don't want to do this in the, anymore, the big point is then take the first steps. You know, you're always saying you don't want to do this. So that means the opposite is you want to overcome. Yeah. Yes. And um, I wanted to mention also that so many of our thoughts are negative. We have around 90,000 thoughts that are coming in every single day from the sensory information, the lights coming in from the window right now, my air conditioner's on, my feet are on the floor, you know, my heart's pumping and my blood's flowing. Like all of these things are happening that we're really not aware of because it's, it's just always there and we don't think about it, but yet it's still coming at us. And so then on top of that are our own personal thoughts about out about this information that's coming at us. So out of those 90,000, 80,000 of them are negative thoughts or thoughts about what we don't want. So if you're saying, I don't want to do this anymore, what do you want? Because if you're focusing on that don't want, I don't want to be this way anymore. I, I don't want to feel like this. I, you know, if you're constantly just saying that, that's the negative side of it. And then what you're 
what you're thinking, what you're saying is what you're creating. So you're creating that don't want to happen even more. So if you can just turn that around and just say what you do want, I do want better health. I do want to overcome this disease. I do want to release this label or whatever your belief is. Then now you're focusing on the positive side and now your words and your thoughts are focused on getting better, not staying or going backwards in that disease. I love it. So there's a couple of questions I want to cover in this podcast. Uh, the first one I'm going to ask you about is your book. If you could tell us about. Yeah. So it's a co-authored book. It's called the successful woman's mindset. It's 21 women, 20, 21 stories of success. And my goal with this book was to prove to myself that I am a writer and that I am uh, capable of doing it because this was presented shortly after I had this aha moment of this label doesn't exist and I can peel it off anytime and do the things I want to do. So it was kind of like, let me just see if I could do this. And my chapter is called Journey to Your Value Within. And my goal with that was to also share my experience and how this belief funneled into every other area of my life, what experiences in my life and events happened that created those beliefs that kind of was like, uh-huh, that's true. I do have a learning disability because I'm not a good reader. Uh-huh, that's true. I do struggle with writing. So, so it kind of just kept confirming that belief that I had of having this learning disability. So I wanted to share my story to help others to bring awareness to others so that they could start discovering their limiting beliefs and releasing them and seeing that when you do that, the possibilities for yourself are endless. That's beautiful. Yeah, there's a lot of us, uh, and, and you know, some parents don't really mean to do it. I have great parents, but you know, when you drop something, you know, you're being clumsy and then that, that voice continues in your head. And as an adult, you're calling yourself now and your mother's not there. So you can't blame her anymore, but you're telling yourself that. And crazy thing is quite often, if you start calling yourself that you become that, mm -hmm. the more that you bash yourself about it, you know, I mean, I drop it. Now I'm much better with myself. I go, you know what? That happens. Accidents happen. And, and it's been a, I don't know. I don't think I've haven't I've broken something. You know, now I'm going to because I just mentioned it. It's a joke. <laughs> yeah, but I, I really am not as consistent. I literally was bad at, at dropping things, breaking things. But that was because my toxic vocabulary was mm -hmm. repeating, and so I believed it. So I'm thinking, oh yeah, clumsy. But uh, very important to turn those around. You're absolutely right. Those limit. That's part of limiting mindset and that voice in your head to to remove it. Yeah, um, the biggest number one thing that I learned was that people do the best they can with the tools they have at the time. So yes, as parents, we're not given a manual that says, oh, you had a kid, Here, here's your a manual, this is how you raise them. No, you just do the best you can and do what you know to do, however that looks. And so learning that for me was huge in the forgiveness of others. Like your parents saying, oh, you're so clumsy. Like they just... That's all they know what to do in the moment. Mm -hmm. And we have the choice to accept that label. Yep, uh, uh, yep, I am clumsy. Or 
well, that's just your perception of what happened, you know? So we have that choice anytime to take on that label and say, yes, I am that, or no, that's your opinion, and I accept that. Something that I think should be taught too, I think we talked about that in the other podcast when I lift your story about, you know, how do you teach that to younger people earlier on in life? I love that you brought up the different ways that people learn. We literally had somebody who was on that spoke to all of that and the different learning, but in a school, they don't teach different ways of learning. My sister was one of those. She didn't like school. It wasn't, she didn't like school. She didn't like the teaching process. And now she's going back to school in her fifties and she's getting nineties and one hundreds and just loving it. Uh, but it's the, the, the method in which they're teaching it is more conducive to what she enjoys. But unfortunately, it's kind of hard to get a school to say, oh, yeah, we're going to have like, you know, 10 different learning styles. It's next to impossible. Yeah. And, and it's, it's really sad that that happens, that the school system is just set up to teach visually and auditory. So from my point of view, there's four different ways that people learn. It's visual. People want to see it. They're auditory, they want to hear it. They're kinesthetic, which means they want to feel it. They want, they want it to feel right to them. And the fourth is auditory digital, which means they want it to make sense to them. They want you to break it down. They want the black and white details of whatever's going on. And the system isn't taught in the kinesthetic and auditory digital learning styles. So my belief is that these students that are in those categories of learning the kinesthetic and the auditory digital are the ones that are struggling they're the ones you know messing around in class or the class clown or you know because they're they just don't get it mm -hmm. and so it's it's sad for them that it's not taught not only in those four styles, but people aren't aware that there's four styles and people aren't aware of what their learning style is. That, that was my case. I didn't know that I was an auditory digital learner and that I wanted everything broken down and it, for it to make sense to me. And that's why I was labeled with that learning disability. And that's why I struggled with reading because I needed to hear it to process. And had I known that and known that it was okay to be that way and not just, you know, take on that society box label of, oh, I have to fit in this, otherwise I'm different and we don't want to be different, even though we're all different. <laughs> so like, why is there that box? So what if they even just taught that to kids that it's okay to be different, you don't have to look the same or be the same or have the same clothing style, the hairstyles, like it's okay to be however you want. And I feel like that's what they should teach. Um, even if they're not going to teach in the different learning styles and um, that overall would be huge for kids to know that it's okay to be different. Yeah. We're not taught that. We feel like we have to fit in this box of what we're told we need to do and be. Oh, it's just a shame because like you said, I mean, if the world was made up of all the same people, how boring that would that be? Yeah. What would we have to talk about if we we're all the same, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Learn if we're all the same. If we all look yeah. alike, that'd be really boring too. Gosh. Yes. You know, who needs a mirror? 
Uh, <laughs> but no, I, I love that. And I'm curious, okay, the, the founder you're of Empowering Growth, if you can give us a little bit of information for our listeners about that. Yeah, so I founded my coaching practice in January of 2020 after discovering this about myself that I no longer wanted to have this design agency and I wanted to take the leap and help those struggling. And so I founded my company and COVID hit and I quickly realized, okay, well, nobody knows that I exist because I've only been open for three months. And so I did what many other people did and I turned to social media. Um, this book presented itself and I was like, okay, that's another way I can get in front of people. And I just really love seeing the transformation in people. And it really comes down to your mindset and your internal, internal work. So working through those emotions, working through the past trauma and allowing yourself to move forward and understand those events that happened and why they happened. Now, I'm interested, and I'm not talking for everybody here. I know there's uh, you know, quite a few guests that we've seen over the last couple of years that have gone through a lot of trauma, but this is something I found interesting. Are there some people though that will have probably one trauma in their life that the rest of their life is pretty darn good, but they focus on that and that holds them back? Yes. Yeah. Yep. So working on that and to remove that would be important for them to be able to realize the good around it. So like the, what I'm saying is that like there's a circle of trauma, but all the stuff around it was good. And it's to pop out of there and start seeing all the good around. Yeah. And the other thing I really think I, people, I think don't like to hear this, but everything happens for a reason. And I think we go through these hard times or these experiences in our life for the purpose of the future. So had I not had family around me struggling with addictions, um, witnessing the substance abuse, the, uh, the gambling, the self-harm, the depression, the anxiety, I wouldn't have an interest to want to help people now. And so I think you're going through this event is so that you can help other people in that same experience get through it because you can be relatable now. You can say, hey, I've been where you're at. I know what it's like to be in that dark space and I've overcome it and I can help you through it. Because someone who's going through it is going to look at you and say, okay, there's hope. They, they've been there. They know what it's like. And now they're going to be more comfortable with allowing you to help them through it. If you have not been through that, then there's kind of a little bit of disconnect because they're like, well, you don't know where I've been or what I'm going through. And they're not going to be related to you. You're absolutely right on so that So just one. think what about... Sorry. How can you use your past traumas for the good? How can you help somebody else who's going through the same thing through it? Absolutely. And that's one thing, too, that we were talking about. Uh, there's quite a few. And even with my clients and, you know, on groups and stuff, you see that that uh, they're going to therapists and not to put these therapists down. They're, they're 
educated in it, but they don't have the experience in it. And, and there does, there is a, a, a difference because you can feel more about what they're feeling. Whereas if it's academic, it's a lot more difficult to, to do that. So uh, it's good to have, I'm not saying push down the academics, but I'm saying is that it's nice to have the, the two of them, the experience and the academics to be able to help somebody. So, so I just, I, I appreciate everything that you do out there. And I see that you're also, uh, you're a certified domestic violence victims advocate as well. That's wonderful. And how do you enjoy that part of your life? I mean, it's not in the sense, but I mean, as far as giving back is what I mean. Yeah. Um, so just, I knew once I started my coaching business that I also wanted to give back. So I did the whole thing of, okay, here's a list of charities. Who can I support? Who do I want to support? And my, my gut, my instinct chose domestic violence. Um, I also witnessed that with my mom and her being in and out of these abusive relationships. And so therefore, again, I could relate. I physically never had the physical abuse. I was in a relationship myself for four years with an alcoholic. So I got the mental, emotional abuse. So I felt, again, I could give back and help them. They're just coming out of it. They're in this shelter. And now I can advocate for them and get them back to whatever it is that they want to do. Do they want, do they need a job? Do they need housing? Do they need transportation? What is it that they need? Do they want to go back to school and help them? Do they need childcare? You know, it goes on and on to what these people, women specifically, and children who are coming out of these abusive, dark spaces, and they don't trust anyone at this point. And so just being able to kind of hold their hand and walk them through the next steps so they can turn their life around. Must be something else too, when you actually earn their trust, because as you said, in those uh, volatile and vulnerable situations, it's hard to trust. So that must, must be, I don't know how to say a good feeling, but I mean, it must make you feel good that they trust you because that's, that's the way that you first get to them, right? And be able to help them. Yeah, and, the, and in the beginning, they don't. They have that, that wall up, they're guarded, and they don't trust anybody. They, mm -hmm. I mean, they're coming out, literally just got out of this thing. And so they don't, they don't trust anybody except for themselves. And so it's just being able to listen, um, allow them to be heard, and allow them to know that they're now safe and that you're going to help them in any way that you can or guide them in the, in the direction of getting help. That's beautiful. Thank you for your work with that. I think that's just absolutely wonderful. Mm -hmm. Now, why don't you tell my listeners where they can find your book, where they can find you? The best place to go is my website. It's empoweringgrowthcoach.com. You can find my book there and purchase it. Um, all my social media links, if you want to connect with me, if you want to call me and reach out uh, through email, all of that is there. So that's the best place to go. 
That's beautiful. Really appreciate your time and sharing your story. I think that's really important. So anyway, listeners, if you're interested in reaching Rachel, uh, the links will also be at the bottom in the notes. So you can just put a click on there and, and reach out to her. Again, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode. Be sure to visit me at bleepbulimia.com.